0: Right. we are recording today for episode two of the confessional professional what what the confessional professional is the place where we talk about with truth with comedy with honesty all the big things the big truths that we don't say that are at work and all the things all the, all the things and my guest all today the all the things and my guest today never holds back he is one of the funnest smartest savviest just uh, he's a joy to talk to my friend jeff harry he is the founder of rediscover your play he is a positive psychology expert he is a play expert he's fun he makes me laugh he speaks truth and makes you want to go hallelujah so Welcome to the confessional, professional, Jeff Harris. The confessional, professional, let's go.
1: <laughs> I want to talk about all the unsaid things. All yeah. the unsaid things.
0: All the that unsaid things. That's, today. my, that's, that's what I do. I do. We, we do. No, we do. Jeff and I don't hold back because I believe we don't, we don't make things better when we are afraid of saying the big truth. So today right. we are talking about the lens for this conversation and we'll meander the lens into the conversation. However, is toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's get not it. Not in a damn hurry.
0: Let's talk about it. Um, I mean, let's talk about it. Why are we so afraid? Do you think to just name it, claim it, And deal with it. Why do we dance around it so much?
1: Because we live in a white male supremacist culture (laughs) where we've been told that you're not supposed to talk about it. Like you just like that's the that's the the third rail, right? Well, if I talk about this, I might not get hired for my next, you know, gig because it's run by predominantly white men. And, and I think we need to like explore, you know, what's behind the toxic masculinity, in my opinion, right? So someone just told me, I think it was Christine McKay was like, you know, the alpha culture is not the same as an effective culture. And I think we've believed for the longest time, the alpha culture was it, the Mm -hmm. Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, you know, uh, Steve Jobs, like, exploitation culture. And that's, done man that uh, that pre pandemic culture is not showing back up in the in the post pandemic world and if it is people are just going to leave right and there's a book called the power manual by Cindy Suarez where she talks about uh libertarian supremacist power you know and in it she says something around the effect of like in every interaction that we have we're always choosing consciously or unconsciously to be in a place of power or powerlessness. And then if we're choosing to be in a place of power, we either are choosing to enact supremacy power, which is like domination, submission. It comes from a scarcity consciousness. There's not enough to go around. I need to slay the dragon. I need to destroy my competition. There's not enough room for more than one leader, right? I'm on this platform by myself while another type of power is liberatory power, which is based on like abundance consciousness. There's plenty to go around. We all can win, raise all boats. It's very egalitarian perspective. And I think, you know, the supremacist power culture, people that that subscribe to that, it's so exhausting for them because they're standing on these podiums, feeling all insecure, trying to push everyone down when they realize like, you know, They shouldn't be leading by themselves. Like, and they're they're stuck out there alone trying to be stronger than they really are.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I think you're right. And I think that just really goes to the heart of the issue. I find that the hardest thing, like, I don't know why it is. We talk now openly more about race. We should have done it a long time ago. We talk more openly about homophobia and transphobia and all these different things why is it so hard to then nail down an honest conversation about gender politics at work like gender I think it's like I feel like it's the last bastion the last hurdle that like men just don't want to talk about it's like it is the thing that I think makes them sweat the most and absolutely yeah, I, I think what's so frustrating too is that we've built successful companies on this alpha male model. You're totally oh. right, you're totally right. And yet, if it was working that great, why do we have massive burnout? We have massive yep. frustration. We have people finally speaking up and saying, this isn't working for anybody. Yep. We have companies in crisis. So if it yeah. was working so great, what's all the the shit going about?
1: Uh, We're doing everything backwards, right? 85% of people were disengaged at work. 85% before the pandemic. I can't imagine how many people after the pandemic, right? In an eight hour workday, we can only possibly do two hours and 51 minutes of deep work. You know, why are we still doing an eight hour workday? I mean, there's just a lot of questions around that. But the, the question you asked about why we don't talk about it it's also who are the winners, right? Like who, you know, when you look at, even now, when you look at media, like they talk about the stock market a lot in the media. Yeah. There's only, I believe, I think 50% of people in America don't have a stock. They have not one stock. So why are we talking about it? And then and then, of the 70% of stocks are owned by, I think like 10% of people. So like when, when they're talking about the stock market, they're really talking to only 10 percent of the population that actually really cares and is impacted greatly by that. Right. So it's like, who are the winners in this? Yeah. And if you're going to talk about this, if you're going to address male supremacy and toxic masculinity, guess who has to give up power? Men. <laughs> Us men. And we don't want to give up power like we just don't. Like, we just want to hold on to it and, you know, and some people I've watched them like burn companies to the ground before they give up their power. Like, that's how sad it is, you know? And it's just like, yo, you're out there alone trying to pretend like your alpha male status is keeping you going. I'm sure it's exhausting for you to hold that personality for you to constantly say things like, you know, do you know who you, do you know who I am? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> um, I believe, I believe you've, you know, that I'm an important person. Like, you know, I have a lot of leather bound books. Like it's exhausting carrying that weight and yeah. that you are more than you actually are. It'd be better if you just gave up some of that power because guess what? There's a lot of women that are smarter than you at your company that you probably should have your job. Yeah. Okay, I mean, just give it up. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. You still get paid a lot of money. You just won't have that job.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You you said something really interesting, just a, a, you know, a lot of things there. And I'm t- we're laughing because before we hit the live button, Jeff and I were laughing about like crazy things that white dudes, white bros specifically say in Clubhouse. And one of the things that I was saying to Jeff is I was listening. Sometimes I listen and I, I don't need to be on the stage. In fact, I, I get more by just listening to Clubhouse. And I was in a room and this older white guy was like talking down to a younger woman of color. And he was like, he copped the whole, Do you, wait, do you know who I am? And I went, oh, he did not just say that to her. And I was listening going, oh my God, like what the actual hell? And she said well hey you know if you this is about respect so if you if that matters to you then maybe you're in the wrong room and she was very respectful she didn't miss a beat she didn't sink to his level and i give her a lot of credit and i was it got me thinking like all the crazy like manifestations of power this power dynamic that white men are now bringing to uh clubhouse and before you go hey were you beating up on white guys yes and no look there's a lot of great white guys out there, but there are a lot of great white guys that stay silent, Uh that don't speak up when they see these kinds of gender dynamics at work. And they're always mixed with race because of the intersectional issues. And um, I think it's really interesting that there are white guys that are clearly problematic, but even the white guys that, well, I would never do that. And they're right, they wouldn't do that, and yet, There's a whole lot of white guys that witness it happen and never speak up. There's a silent majority white guy, call him Bob. (laughs) What's up, Bob? Why doesn't Bob speak up? And what do we do to galvanize Bob?
1: I mean, the the way I would say it first is like, listen, if you're a white guy watching this, I'm not attacking you. I'm not, I don't know you. I don't even know who you are, right, Chad? I don't know you, Chad. (laughs) But, But what I'm addressing is I'm addressing the white male supremacist culture that you benefit from, that I benefit from as a man. You know, I'm a person of color, but I still benefit as a man. You know, I still have probably gotten jobs because I was a guy, you know, and we just have to recognize that certain level of privilege. Now, why would Bob want to give up that power? I don't know. I don't know why Bob selfishly would want to give up that power, probably because it's super exhausting to play that role all the time to pretend to be the alpha male. It's not benefiting you. It's only benefiting a few white guys at the top and then every other white dude has to deal with this culture and deal with like all this like hate and you know, like vitriol because y'all have been benefiting for a really freaking long t- period of time. Like, can you actually embrace the fact that you might've gotten into college because you were white men? Can you actually embrace the reason why you get paid more than most women and just most pre- people of color at your job is because you're a white guy. Can you fathom that because maybe you were part of a certain frat or you, you know, your name is, Chad or Todd, you know, you went to the same (laughs) university and you went to Phi Beta Kappa or whatever, you know, Sigma Nu thing that you went to, you know, that that is the reason why you keep getting promoted for another job, right? Or being offered the board of directors, you know, and getting golden parachutes when you move from job to job. Can you embrace that? That part of it isn't what you earned? Because that's the reality. I'm not saying you didn't work hard to get your place, but there are people that work just as hard as you, if not harder, to get less. And you gotta own that in this new reality, in this post-pandemic reality, or you're just gonna be left behind, frankly.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I, Cause I agree, I mean, we're not, it's not about like, hey, you know, I, I think I don't wanna do the whole not all white guys. Cause I mean, that's not that's not what we're talking about. It's really I'm about-, about the culture. It's the culture it's the culture and i think one of the things that's really interesting is that i think that uh there there are more i'm seeing a, a little bit of a change where i think generationally some younger white guys are like yeah i think that privilege that being white and male has given me access that's given me capital that i didn't necessarily earn but i was born into and it's interesting because I see some older men really embracing that and actually being honest about it. And some that are really fighting it all the way. And I think one of the biggest struggles is, is that the people who are the Chads and all that other stuff and Jeff and I are laughing because like channel your inner Chad. Just when you think you're not, you're not qualified ladies, just go, you know, Chad would apply if he was just 10% uh-huh. qualified, do channel your Chad. I think the, You're, that
1: the you white know, male mediocre confidence, like ever- I don't know for any white man out there that's watching this, but you have a confidence do. that a lot of other people don't. And where mm-hmm. that actually comes from is all media celebrates you. Like if you think about last of the Mohicans, last samurai, all like every you know, Neo from the matrix. It's always a white guy saving, you know, people of color from themselves. Same. That, that Same. I remember when Black Panther came out and Chadwick Boseman was on the a poster. I remember there was this one video of this, this black man that was hugging this, Chadwick Boseman poster and being like is this what white dudes feel like every time like this is the first time I'm seeing a superhero that looks like me that's a powerful thing you've been getting that your entire life in every movie every TV show everything that you're set up for every company you're like Jeff Bezos looks like me Elon Musk looks like me man I can do anything. That is white male mediocre confidence right there.
0: Wow. No, it is. And it, it's really interesting because I think it's really hard for some guys to get that. But here's an example. Here we are, Women's History Month. I mean, we're almost done with it. We get a month. Yay. Black people get a whole month. Yay.
1: And then a white guy shows up. It's like, where's my month? Where's my you
0: month? You have all
1: the time. You have all the time. Yeah. You're being celebrated even are during... Every you're saying celebrated day.
0: exactly, exactly, and I think the thing that's interesting to me is that. Um, well, I think you hit it on the head. If we look at like imposter syndrome as an example, like you know, I I read this really great article in HBR just recently about look. Can we just for once during Women's History Month, stop talking about women and and imposter syndrome? Part Mm -hmm. of the reason women constantly have imposter syndrome is because the media keeps talking about it. And we never do that with white men and go, gee, white men have imposter syndrome. But no, we do that to women. So women then expect it because that's Uh all we ever see. Women, women got to work on their imposter syndrome. Uh-huh. Where is the book on imposter syndrome for white men? I'm sorry. I've never seen that book.
1: <laughs>
0: and oh, so they, we're crushing it. They're, they're just, just crushing it. it. And so I think part of that is very much a reflection of that. And I think to your point, Jeff, it's like if we started focusing less on that and yeah. really being aware of these differences, then I think maybe people would start to go, oh yeah, I get that. I've never seen a version of me in the media that wasn't the savior, wasn't the hero, wasn't the beaten down, you know? And I'm not, you know, Jeff and I are not saying, we are not saying that individual white guys don't have adversity. Individual, that's not what this is. We're saying that as a group, as a group, they are not targeted for discriminatory practices, the way that oh. people of color and women have been.
1: No, because, because be, that because you have the benefit of being in power. Yes, like yes. I'll give you a perfect example. Do you remember the book, She's Just Not Into You? Yes. I don't know. So it was written by this white dude. It's a, it's a horrible book. I mean, it's not horrible, but it's just, it's obvious stuff. Right. It's the most obvious stuff that like so many women that I talked to as well as so many people of color were just like, People are paying for that book. Like we all know that we just didn't have the audacity to think that we should write a book about it because we thought it was obvious enough. But this dude, this mediocre male dude was like, I'm going to write a book about it and pretend that I'm an expert on it. And you're like, that just blows my mind. And the amount of times that I see that happening like do you think the we work guy would have gotten all that he got if he was a woman if he was a black dude no he really thought that he was changing the world and there's this part of this like supremacist culture also comes with um this belief that that they're the savior that they're saving the world why are all why y'all stop saving the world? Especially like Anand Gerdaga says this in Winner's Take All. Stop trying to save the world, all you elite, you know, just pay your taxes. That's it. Just pay your freaking taxes. Pay your wealth tax. Stop trying to like create another philanthropic venture like Tom Shoes, where where you're like, Well, we're doing great in the world. No, you're not. You just ruined the shoe economy in Africa. What are you doing? Like, you keep doing these things thinking you're having an impact on the world that's bringing happiness and joy. And no, you're just doing more exploitation for your own ego. For your own ego.
0: And that is, actually, you say that, and that is a really important point because I met one of the founders of Charity Water.
1: Oh, yeah. I know that. Yeah, I've
0: Oh, yeah. he, and i he was criticized and he denied it and he denied it. But it, And and here's the thing. It was exactly what you're saying is that this idea that the white guy's got to go in and save people. And here's the problem. He went into areas where NGOs that were local on the ground um, in Africa, people who are from those countries had boots on the ground and they knew the issues so well. And here yeah. it comes in, doesn't consult them, doesn't nope. ask what they need. Nope. But comes in as the white guy on the horse, I'm gonna tell you what you need. And yep. they really struggled with the fact that they weren't consulted, they had all this history, they knew this, but because they were native to that area, they were sort of on the ground NGO who, you know, people of color who knew their local yep. economy, they knew the people, they knew the tribe, they knew what was needed. This guy's organization did not listen. Right. And so that whole backslash of the Savior Complex. I'm going to be the guy that comes in and saves everybody. You're welcome. <laughs>
1: yeah. And and look what else he did. He takes the money away from those areas, right? Yeah. He makes marketing videos, really amazing marketing videos that show all of the great work that he's doing. And then guess what? He benefits because now he goes on speaking engagements and gets paid tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to speak about how great of a hero he is. Meanwhile, the actual people that he's claiming he's helping, he's not. He's not. Not in the long run. Maybe in the short run, but not in the long run. I think
0: I think that's a really good point because I think he should have elevated these NGOs that were already working the problem because people born in that region from that region had a good handle on what was needed. And he should have consulted them. He should have elevated them. He should have included them. And I think that's the whole like a uh, Lone Ranger, lone, the, 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 the myth of sort of the, the lone wolf kind of uh, Elon Musk, you know, Steve Jobs kind of like male, the alpha male archetype which I think we don't see that with women. We don't see the low, you know, because for women, it's just never that like that. It's they work in a team and we just don't, we don't have that archetype. It doesn't exist for us
1: Yeah, and it doesn't exist
0: for men of color.
1: Right. And and referencing uh, Decolonizing Wealth, uh, this really great book, you know, talking about indigenous divide restore, it's like, Uh, The author broke down the characteristics of white supremacist culture, right? And what are some of them? Perfectionism, right? So which really affects women. sense of urgency, defensiveness, quantity over quality, worship of the written word, right? Like, oh, when you sign this contract, now I own your land, right? That's how they, that's how a lot of Native Americans lost their land. Paternalism fear of open conflict, individualism. Like I can only do it myself. Worship of unlimited growth. Like how many CEOs are like, we just more, more, and more, you know, objectivity as if like I'm being objective right now when you're not, and then avoidance of discomfort. So like those are all part of the culture, which then, because we've all bought into this, we avoid the discomfort of addressing yeah. this. We've been taught not to talk about this stuff. This stuff is going to rock the boat. You might lose a job or a contract because of this. So it's been, we've been designed to not address these issues for like at least 18 years, if not more, of our academic lives. So ah. this, is why, this is why we're here, why we're at where we're at.
0: We're a hundred percent, and and you know, and I'm seated in, in the heart of Silicon Valley, and Jeff also um has been living in the Bay Area. Um, he's a Chicago native, but living in the Bay-, Bay Area, and we see that with sort of the whole mythology of Silicon Valley, right? It's like it's like white guy paradise. <laughs> <laughs> cha-ching, yeah. cha-ching, and the whole IPO rage. And I think that that bro culture has to be broken down. And the question then becomes, Jeff, and you and I have talked about this a lot like Jeff and I, our friends, we, we have this conversation. How do we break this down, start to make the change when it's very much predicated on people in power ha- admitting that there's a problem and changing it when the very thing you're talking about is them letting go of power? Yeah. And it, how do we start that? Where do we I think, go?
1: I think you have to start it first with identifying who the allies are because there are white men that want to address this and want to address this culture. I think that's worth exploring if you can't find that. Then the, thing, the next thing is just like starting to set boundaries and not tolerating what was tolerated before. I know a lot of people have been talking about cancel culture and it's just like, dude, that's accountability. That's just like accountability that you can't be sexist or racist anymore, you know, and if you're using that as your guys, you know, like we're going to call you out on it, and the more we're able to set certain boundaries and not tolerate certain behavior, like I'm not gonna tolerate that from a president, I'm not gonna tolerate that you know, from a CEO yeah. or from my colleague and I'm gonna shut it down right then and there. The yeah. more you step up to that the insecure person that's trying to claim that they are superior, yeah. the more, uh, more you galvanize strength in others to also set that boundary yeah. so that more and more people keep setting it and then it becomes uncomfortable for that person to continue to act in that toxic masculine way. It's just not helpful for them. The reason why they keep doing it now, and I've talked to many people about this, is because it still works. They still believe that they are an a-hole, it works. They still believe if they're an alpha male, it works. It's been working so far, so why would I change? So you, we have to create the culture where that does not work anymore.
0: Absolutely, and I think if we hundred percent, and and I think so, as somebody, you know, Jeff and I both have been executives in these types of corporations, and I know that if if the shoe were on the other foot, as an example when a woman um, or a person of color is, um, let's just say a man of color and a woman, cause Jeff, that's what Jeff and I are. Like if we were in a position where we were trying the alpha character, I think that stuff would get checked. It gets checked at the door. Mm-hmm. And I think this is what privilege affords you. You know, we give, we give white men the benefit of the doubt in a ways that we do not extend to women, to women of color, to men of color. We just don't, we just don't. Yeah, and I think those are the kinds of things that uh, I think we have to start to question.
1: Right, and we also have to ask ourselves. Like I talked about this with the power manual earlier. Like, what type of post pandemic world do we want to create? What type of post pandemic work environment do we want to create? Do we want to continue the supremacist power culture where it's like all about that one individual leading the charge? or are we willing to embrace more of a liberatory egalitarian perspective where we're like raising all boats and helping everyone else out and bringing more shared humanity back to the workplace? Because when we do more of that, more people benefit. And then guess what? More people make money. You make more money. But as long as you continue to support this toxic culture, where we celebrate the one individual that Steve Jobs was the one that invented all these ideas. No, he didn't. What ha- he <laughs> never gave credit to all of the people, Colin, all the women that made him look good.
0: That's right. That's,
1: That's right. Right. no I pulled heard- on out there and was like, well, "Check this out. I just invented this iPhone by myself."
0: Yeah. Like,
1: come on, man. No, like, Do that in the future.
0: Well, this is how embedded this myth is, is that even during Women's History Month, I'm at a summit, I'm listening to the speakers, and women... Are quoting Steve Jobs, and I was like, well, "Y'all drink the Kool-Aid."
1: Y'all need to like. I'm pretty sure we, Steve. You know, I was like, "Hard not to drink the Kool-Aid. It's so, all that's available to drink." It <laughs> is. And
0: you're gonna have to throw the Kool-Aid out. Well, and I think the thing that's really important to me is that, like, look, Steve Jobs was a radical pioneer, no question about it. But he was not the only model in Silicon Valley, or or beyond Silicon Valley of innovation. And I think one of the limiting beliefs is, is if that's all we elevate, that's all we get. So let's yeah. elevating examples of women innovating, of, of you know, people Man. of color innovating. Let's let's have more variety so that people see themselves represented in it. And I think the thing that I, I think it's going to take is galvanizing that silent male I know you're an ally, but you can't be an ally in secret. Like the men that will email me like in secret that are like, hey, I'm an ally. And I'm like, hey, you don't get how allyship works.
1: Exactly. You got to show up. Like you got to (laughs) speak openly, dude. Like you got to, you know, who's the person that runs Apple now? What's his name? Steve Cook? Steve Cook. Yeah. So Steve, you're- launch why don't you bring out some of the inventors of your freaking products all right why don't we bring some of those people out instead of just you like that's real allyship that's That's real like hey stopping someone in the middle of a meeting you know and just being like yo i'm only hearing from the white dudes in the room can we talk can we hear about people that haven't
0: spoken up in a while right and that gets us to this next section, which is really important. It's like, what do we do? And you just said a couple of things that are really important. Like, you know, let's elevate people who are working on innovative ideas in the company. And let's make sure that it's, you know, women, it's men, it's people of color. It's, it's representative of what your customer base actually looks like. Because I'm pretty sure, Apple, you do not sell to just white guys. So make sure you've got representative know and this is any company not apple um singled out but like any company make sure you're elevating that i think you just said another one which is really important i say to a lot of my white guy friends and 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 male friends not just white male friends but when you're in a meeting and you see women being talked over their ideas being shut down men interrupting men taking credit for ideas it's very important that you step up allyship is to say hey you know what that's great, but um, Rebecca had an idea and she just said, can we go back to what she said? I think that's how you show up. And it's funny okay. how many times, Jeff, that I've had this conversation with men, with guy friends, and then they, they, they don't see it, but then they will come back they do the to exact me.
1: exact opposite, right? They do the exact opposite. They the exact way. opposite. They're like, I'm gonna be an ally. I'm gonna show up for you at the meeting and then they're silent. The
0: they're silent. But here's the thing, a few have come back and it takes a while. A few have come back and said, I did not notice how much women were cut off and it took me a while to start to see it. And I only right. started seeing it because you challenged me to look for it. And then, right. so I think it's really start to challenge yourself to notice.
1: I, I would say two other things for, for white guys that are watching this, and I'm hoping some white guys are watching this, <laughs> Is is one challenge, put yourself in the minority. Put yourself in positions or moments, even when you travel, where you're in the minority and just experience what that feels like because that's that's our world all the time, right? And then if you're not ready to speak up or anything like this, how about just not cause harm? So here's a perfect example of not causing harm. When someone says something that triggers you and you feel attacked as a white man, just remind yourself, it's not about you. Yeah. It's not about you. We're not talking about you. We're not attacking you. It, not, it has nothing to do with you in particular, Chad. You know, We're talking about the culture. Yeah. And we're talking about how that culture does not benefit a majority of people yeah. and a majority of businesses. And we're losing great deals of money because of this. Sherm did a study in October of 2019. Toxicity at work cost Fortune 500 companies $223 billion in the last five years. Just in the last five years. And these are only the companies that are willing to admit that they had toxicity at work. And these are just Fortune 500 companies. What about all the small businesses? What about all the Fortune 1000 companies? Like, come on, we're losing a ton of money, a ton of productivity. And we're getting 85% of people disengaged at work because no one's addressing the toxic masculine dude in the room. That's right. You address that, you benefit, I benefit, Kathy benefits. So again, we're not attacking you. It's not about you. Remind yourself every time you get offended, we're not talking about (laughs) you, okay? (laughs) Right. Just calm calm your ego down for a
0: moment. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. It's like you know the toxic behavior that we're talking about is very directly linked to toxic masculinity, and and I think we're just not. I think there's a hesitation and a, a hesitance to admit it, and we've got to deal with it because look, that's not to say that anybody can't be an asshole at work. Everyone has a little bit of an asshole, you right. know, ability. We all do. But if we're really honest about where the sources of that that assholery comes from, it comes a lot in the form of this toxic masculine behavior. And that is a fact. And I think it's about dealing with these systems that are set up to never challenge that. Uh And I think that's the way that we're gonna have to start to break it down. And we only expand the, the the circle of prosperity for more people if we're willing to actually address this issue. And I'm telling you what, Jeff Harry, like I think the signs are there. Our, our mutual friend Karen Eber, uh, you know, people aren't taking it anymore. People yeah. are not putting up with this shit anymore. Dude, Gen
1: Zers do not want to put up with this bullshit. They're so not. if you are coming with your pre-pandemic playbook, it's, you're done. You're going to be obsolete, like blockbuster, dude. Like it's not, it's just not helpful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You got to You got to do some different stuff, everybody. So, you know, just make sure that, you know, if you create a safe space to talk about it, that's really important. The most important thing is it's got to get done. And if, if here's the thing, if women and people of color are still not speaking up, then you lack psychological safety. And that is the company's job to fix.
1: Yeah. And you have to ask yourself, like imagine if a woman was allowed to act the way this a-hole is acting right now. What would happen? (laughs) She'd probably get fired. She'd probably be considered angry. You know, like she's just an angry woman. Or imagine if I was acting in that way. Whoa, Whoa, you know. What? Scary brown black dude acting all angry. Like like the threshold that you have.
0: Yeah.
1: Sorry, but we're talking about this. The threshold you have as a white man is you can act way out of the pocket. I have I have so many friends that have watched temper tantrums happen in meetings and then nothing happens to that person. Nothing. He just gets to do a temper tantrum nothing. every couple months whenever he feels like it. No one else gets to do that. Nobody. How do we tolerate that? Nobody. What are we doing, like, to allow a child in a man's body to, like, start berating everyone, and we all just going to pretend that that's okay? I forgot who told me. I think it was, like, Caitlin, who runs this burnout podcast, but, um, or she, she, I think she mentioned it, but it was... Culture is defined by the worst behavior. Yes. So what is the worst behavior that you actually tolerate? And if you want to think of why people get burnt out, I forgot what the exact quote is, but burnout really is hundreds, if not thousands of small betrayals of purpose. Small betrayals. It's never something huge, really. It's just like, whoa, Chad just insulted that person. Does anyone do anything about it? Okay, I guess not. Oh, whoa, Chad just got a bonus. Wow, he got a bonus, even though he's super mean to everybody. Okay, well, I guess they're just rewarding on sales numbers, but nothing else, nothing about the team. So each time there's a betrayal of trust on purpose, that person starts to think, I'm going to (laughs) leave. This is BS. I don't want to be here anymore. And then guess what? You're going to lose a shit ton of money because they left. And then you have to find somebody else.
0: Yeah. You know, I think that's so true. I think culture is the lowest common denominator. Always, always reigns. And it's, it's death by a thousand cuts or betrayals. Exactly that. I can remember when I was in my early twenties, working for a company and the uh every week we had every Monday we started with a meeting of looking at our backlog orders and you know all this other stuff and there was a meeting and I had to produce the reports and stuff and uh um the the guy who ran the division this older white guy had a meltdown over the numbers so he took a stack of the papers and the reports and he threw them and he hit an intern in the face oh my god intern in the face nothing happened to this guy and i'm thinking wow. to myself as a woman in the Both world
1: surprised you know, that not surprised
0: no not surprised could you try again? oh that i love how my alexa w- was like what could you try again even my alexa's offended see she gets it she's like what is up-
1: like that's unbelievable we need to call for help with this
0: but it's it's no nothing happened. and i remember thinking there's no way if a woman had tried that behavior yeah. if a black man had tried that behavior like we would no. not be there. And I can never forget that that seemed, everybody agreed it was bad behavior, but Jeff, nobody did anything about wow. it. Wow. So it was the conspiracy. Wow. It's a conspiracy of silence is what happened.
1: Right. right. So and the thing that's crazy about that is just you're know, like, like, let's say you're a guy that's watching this and you're like, yeah, but that doesn't affect me. It does. You know why it does? Because not only are people leaving, which is costing you money but it's also destroying the organization. It's creating an environment where you don't even like going to work. And then at the end of the day, it's affecting your bonus. It's affecting your compensation. And guess who's benefiting? Not you, not you in the middle management role. Only the toxic dude at the top is benefiting. Because they keep making money, and they're going to get promoted, and then eventually they're going to leave and get their golden parachute to move on to their next organization. And you still are going to be in that middle management job losing money because of the the crap this person did to destroy that organization. Do you want to do that, or do you want to get with the future? Because the future is feminine. I'm sorry. The future is female, and address this issue.
0: Yeah. One hundred percent. In our final round, as we wrap up, Jeff, what are some signs? What are some things that dudes say? Okay, let's let's get real here. Signs that you may have a toxic masculinity problem at your work when you hear people say, (laughs) "Fill in the blank." We talked earlier about just the whole. Do you know who I am? strips right. of privilege. Like don't don't be one of those dudes that says, Do you know who I am? No. What else? What other things do you hear?
1: I I, I think other signs would be who speaks at your meetings? Who's taking a Who's taking up the most amount of room at your meetings? Yes,
0: notice everybody, notice What does your
1: board of directors look like, right? What does your executive board look like? Who are the decision makers? Like at the end, like we all make decisions together, but at the end of the day, who is the one that's stamping their approval? Mm -hmm. Right. And we also have to remember that sometimes, even if you're a person of color or a a woman, you might be playing into the role as supporting the white supremacist culture. Do women feel like they have to be more masculine? Do they have to be more like, I got to get stuff done in this certain way and not allowed to be themselves. I mean, if you're a team leader, you should be asking yourself, like, do you feel, ask your staff, do you feel comfortable coming to me and addressing conversations about race and gender hey do you feel comfortable mentioning really big problems that are happening at work right now and if they're like uh you know they pause and they give you a bs answer guess what you don't have psychological safety and you're just you're just pretending that you do
0: Amen. Amen. I think if people won't tell you stuff, you cannot read that as a sign of no problems. It means they're scared to tell you because no one's going to tell you when they don't feel safe. They're not going to go, Hey boss, you make me feel unsafe. And they ain't going to tell you.
1: They're not going to tell, gonna tell safe. you. <laughs> and if you're going with that, that notion of like, Hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It is broke. It's broke for everyone. Maybe it's benefiting you, but it's not, it's broken for everyone else that works in your
0: organization. Yeah.
1: So I love so, that. So I love yeah.
0: It. Totally. Well, let's let's and I so many things we could talk about. Let's I think let's end on that. Look for these signs. Be honest with yourself. If people are afraid to speak up, if you look around the room and you don't see women or people of color represented in decision-making roles, in money, who spends the money, who has the budget, in the C-suite at the highest levels of policy making, if it's white guys that I got news for you. It is white male supremacist, and that's a fact. The biggest thing you can do is address it and make it safe to do so. It's not about being right, it's about being willing to have the conversation and make it safe for people to speak up.
1: Right, and if this this conversation, any part of this triggered you and you're angry at this, guess what, it's not about you. It's just not about you. So like let go of that and like help us change this for the better because more people want to go to work and actually be happy at work, but they can't right now in this current culture.
0: And we'll leave it on that. That is awesome. Jeff, where can people find you if they want more information about you?
1: Sure, they can go to (laughs) rediscoveryourplay.com. Click on the let's play button where I have all these ways in which you can play to create psychological safety at work. Uh, and hop on a call with me, man. And let's, let's talk about how we can bring more play and positive psychology to the workplace. Because frankly, man, I wanna go and enjoy work in the future, not go pre-pandemic anymore. I'm done with that.
0: Me too. If you want more about me, you can visit keepingithuman.com. If you want more humor and you want more improvisation in your communication, your storytelling, your culture, all that stuff, give me a call, give Jeff a call, do all the calls. And we'll see you on the next. Yes, confessional professional. Thanks, everybody. See ya. Peace.